All your favorite CBC podcasts are now available on YouTube. The best in award-winning true crime investigations, hilarious comedies, vibrant pop culture conversations, and even more audio series are all available on CBC Podcast's YouTube channel. You'll also find exclusive video first episodes, YouTube shorts, and behind-the-scenes content from our hosts and producers that you can't find anywhere else. So if YouTube is your go-to source for podcasts, just search CBC Podcasts and hit subscribe, and you'll never miss the latest update. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. So the actor Alexandra Billings has had some incredible firsts in her career. She played one of the first openly transgender characters on TV for the made-for-TV movie Romeo and Michelle in the beginning, so that was back in 2005. She starred in the Broadway production of Wicked, making her the first trans actor to portray the role of Madame Morrible. Outside of that, Alexandra's been busy in theater, film, and TV for over 20 years. But the way you might know about her is through her role in the uh, Emmy-winning show Transparent, but now she's the star of a new Canadian film called Queen Tut, where she plays Malibu, confident, courageous leader in Toronto's LGBTQ plus community. You watch her desperately trying to save her bar, Mandy's, which is under threat of being redeveloped. Then she meets Nabil, who's a young Egyptian immigrant, desperate for community and finding his own truth. All that to say is Alexander joined guest host Talia Schlanger to talk about this film, Queen Tut. And to talk about her own personal connection to the story in the film. Like, she tells Talia she didn't feel like she was acting at all. But anyway, Talia started off by asking her what she remembered after reading the script for the first time. I remember how beautiful the the Chosen Family was written. I remember how specific it was to our community. And it it really spoke to me in a way that, that I get a lot of LGBT films and um, they're all great in in their own container. But this one was really, it was funny. Also, it spoke about race in a way that I had never seen before. I had never thought about it in this way. So it also brought a whole other um, element into our conversation that um, was really beautiful. I want to know a bit more about your character, Malibu. Um, You know, we know that she's the owner of a historic queer bar in Toronto called Mandy's. It's at risk of being torn down for redevelopment. What else? What else can you tell me about Malibu? Well, Malibu, (laughs) Malibu is basically me in much better clothes, I have to say. (laughs) And I, I, I I loved this character. You know, when I got the script, the character was um, described as a drag queen. So I initially said, I shouldn't play this role, but I would love to uh, help produce it. And they said, no, 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 we really want you to play it. And I said, well, then we need to be really specific about the um, the description and who she is and her identity. We have to be really specific about that because we need to be mindful that we're sending out a, a, a message that's not only politically correct, but that makes sense. So they were so great in allowing me to 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 change Malibu's identity from from drag to trans and to just to be really really specific in her anger and her rage uh, you know why is she mad why is she holding on to this bar what does queer family mean how important is lgbt history and that's my whole life i mean there's very little difference between me and her i did very little acting especially screaming and yelling at straight cis people that was super fun but help save the real Toronto. How do you feel about overdevelopment in this city? I don't think I like it. Then donate. I'm working. 
How does how does Malibu compare to some of the other roles that you had been offered, trans roles in particular that you'd been offered earlier on in your in your career? That's a great question. She's really the first one that uh, first of all they the director uh, um, Reem allowed me to just talk a lot, <laughs> so I would do because the script was excellent. So I didn't need I it it, it wasn't necessary, but it, uh, there were certain times when I would do the script the way it was written, and then I said, you know, can I just can I just say stuff, and she would go sure. So. That was really fun to do. I was able to bring a lot of what was actually happening in me to what was happening at the time in the script. And Malibu has a real sense of history. A lot of the trans characters that I get are trans, and that's great, but they don't have a political voice the way Malibu does, and that made me really happy. We can't let them win. We can't let them take our spaces. And uh, we have to remember that we come from a people that know what revolution is. We know it in our bones. So this isn't new to us, is what I'm saying. We know how to do this. We were born of revolution. I want to pick up on something that you said just a, a mom- moment ago when you were talking about um, the similarities between you and Malibu. And you said that you, you there, was a, there was a space for her rage to go, to, for her rage and for her anger to go. Where does that come from? What is that about? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm mad most all of the time. I'm angry. I'm angry at our country and the lack of empathy. I am angry at the humans in it for their uh, inability to understand and educate. I am resentful at people who are not curious about things they that are not living next door to them. It's 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 frustrating. And I'm 61 years old. So I lived through the end of Stonewall. Uh, Larry Kramer and I marched together when ACT UP uh, happened and was birthed. I was there for the birth of that. Mm. And I buried all of my friends. I lost all of my, not all of them, but most, uh, every friend I had in my 20s and 30s because of the AIDS plague. So I've had a lot of pent up rage against the uh, straight, white, cis patriarchy for for a, a lot of, a couple of generations now. And now it seems to be coming to a head. I don't know if you can feel it, but I certainly can. The ground seems to be shaking. Absolutely. And I'm sick and tired of... of <laughs> Bending over backwards and holding people, to be quite frank, bending over backwards and holding people's hand through a portal of understanding. Listen, if you don't understand our community, then pick up a damn book, you idiot. I am not your mother. And I am sick and tired of saying to you, now listen, here's what trans people, this is how gay people, you know, queer people, shut up. If you do not ask me a question you wouldn't want your own mother asked. Mm. Do not treat me in a way you wouldn't treat your children. Don't walk into my house or my church, meaning like a theater or a restaurant or any queer space, like you wouldn't walk into your own. It's really simple. This isn't difficult for you to understand. You may not like me. I don't care. You may not agree with my life. I don't care. You may not like my marriage, agree with my marriage, or like my life choices. I don't care. What I care about is for you to honor my journey the way I am forced to honor yours. That's all. Mm. 
That's beautifully said, and it connects so well to the space that we see in the movie and the importance of spaces like like Malibu's bar, uh, Mandy's, which is a, a gathering space for people to um, honor history and to honor community. You grew up in Illinois. I'm wondering if you if there was a space like that for for you that was uh, church, as you put it, or a, a meaningful gathering space. Well, there was later on, you know, again, um, I've been on the planet for six decades and I began my transition in 1980 Mm. when it was, you know, bizarre. It was it was very strange what we were doing. And so there weren't a lot of safe places for us to go. There were some, but they were mostly underground and hidden. Um, now they're much more out in the open. It's not like there weren't LGBT centers. Of course there were, but there it, it was difficult. It was harder. So they existed, but you really had to search them out. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. The um, sense of community that you build in the film in in Queen Tut and particularly your relationship with the character Nabil, who we're watching go on this journey of self-discovery, is a really beautiful one of of chosen family. So, kid, what are you planning on doing with uh, these dresses? I don't know yet. Um, I think I'll know when I get there. Come here. And you have this fiercely loving... Uh, approach to to Nabil and taking him under your wing. Is there anyone from your own life or your own past that that you were thinking about in terms of Malibu's relationship of mentorship with with Nabil? What a great question! I it, it's funny you should say that because I I've been a teacher now for over four almost four decades, and my students are part of my healing really and they don't know this of course i try to tell them but i don't know that it really makes much sense um and i think nabil was a representation of all of those humans of of every student i meet i can't tell you how many how many times i get um students in my class, whether they're LGBT or not, that are lost, confused, uh, you know, or their families have said, this is not a great idea. I don't, you know, an artist doesn't make any money. You get a real job, you know, that whole thing that we're all told when we pursue our dreams. So, so this idea that if I have anything, and I'm not the smartest lady on the planet, if I have anything to give, I can give the fact that I've survived for six decades in a transgender experience. And that for me, I was able to lean on all of the humans that came into my classroom, I think. Hmm. 
What compels you to share so much of yourself and your experience? Oh, I think I look back to when I was 13, 14 years old and would turn on the TV and see people like us be the butt of jokes or the prostitutes or the dead bodies or... And I never saw us in the grocery store or, uh, you know, at movie theaters or I just never I never saw myself. If you don't see yourself reflected in the human experience, you don't see yourself at all. And I so I had nowhere to go, which is why three times I tried to unalive myself because I thought, well, I'm too much trouble and I'm crazy. Obviously, I'm crazy. Hmm. So I keep thinking. (laughs) Maybe it's futile, but I keep thinking, I can't possibly be the only one that feels that way. Even now, I can't possibly be. It's I don't believe that's true. The odds, it just doesn't make any sense. So I run my mouth as often and as loudly as I can. I think this relates to what you said, so I'm going to ask you about it, and we don't have to talk about it if you don't want, but you fo- you posted a photo a couple of days ago of yourself with this um, covering over your eyes and you're holding a teddy bear um, and you're speaking very clearly and very forcefully about um, being HIV positive and being visible as a person who's HIV positive. And the reason I'm asking you about it is not to play into any stereotype or to do any sort of, you know, to, to dig up trauma. But I think what it is that's so beautiful and so powerful about that to, to me as as somebody with friends who are also part of the HIV positive community, um, that you're saying, look, here I am, a healthy person with a career, with a lot of strength, with a beautiful life, and this is also something that I'm surviving. Um, can you speak a little bit to that and and, and about the, the reason why you've chosen to be so outspoken about your health? First of all, thank you so much for asking that question. Sure. People don't ask me that anymore you know about 10 years ago i said i was in class i talk a lot about myself in class and i said i was talking about having hiv and one of my students innocently said oh my god that 80s disease like (laughs) wow i know but here's what's great what's great is it's so old that he was completely confused he was like wait a minute that's still here And I never forgot that. And I thought, again, I know I'm not the only one. There's very few of us left, but I know I'm not the only one that's still living with this thing. And I know that there are new diagnoses all the time. And I know that there are, especially the African-American community, it affects the African-American community tenfold. So I figure, because people look at me and go, well, she's fine. Right. You know, everything's great. And that's not true. I get sick a lot. I have to cancel classes or I have to take off shows or I have to do things that are very difficult for me to do because I have to admit that even if it's for 24 hours, the disease has won. And what I try to do in those, so I love that you picked out that post because I was very ill. It affected my eyes and my I couldn't see. Neuropathy affects not only your nerves um, and your feet and your hands, but it also uh, affects your sight as well. And it was really frightening. So I wanted to document it. 
so that when people saw me and they went, oh, she looks great. They also can go, you know, she doesn't always look like that. Here's a picture. HIV looks like this. It looks like this. HIV looks like this. And it also looks like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have friends with cancer that do the same thing. Yeah. That when they go into chemotherapy, they document it so they can go, it also looks like this. I think it's important, especially in the queer community, that we remember all those humans that gave their lives so that we could marry each other, so that I could post something on social media, so that I could still survive this illness. If I speak about them, then they're never very far away. That's right. And it's life-saving, I think, for other people, too, who might be, there's so much shame and so much stigma still for people who might be scared to seek treatment or to talk to their friends and ask for the support that they need because they're afraid that being HIV positive looks uh, looks a certain way. And, and you're you're saying, no, no, it's it's all of this. Right. Um, so thank you. Uh, I want to end, I think, by talking about this this really triumphant scene in, in the film uh, in Quintet, where you're performing at the fundraiser to save Mandy's. This is the first and the only time we see you singing and dancing in the film. It's so passionate. Um, just as we close out, tell me, what, what, what are you channeling here? What are you bringing to the screen in this, in this musical moment? I love that you mentioned that. I had a, a, a friend, um, Ginger Spice, who um, succumbed to AIDS when she was 23 years old, probably one of the most beautiful humans on the planet and a very, very good friend of mine. And she was one of the first people I knew that had HIV back in the 80s and died of it. And I was lip syncing um, under the name Shantae at the time. And I was working at the Baton Show Lounge in Chicago. And I was there for a long time. I worked at a lot of other bars, but I was at the Baton at the time. And she said to me, because she heard, she she heard me sing. I don't have a great voice. I have a loud voice, but I don't have a great voice. So I never thought, I mean, I like to sing, but it never occurred to me. And she said, Alex, why don't you, why don't you sing live? And I said, Ginger, I can't do that. First of all, no, it's terrifying. And also, secondly, nobody's going to pay to hear me do that. And she said, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. And I said, well, I'm not a great singer. And she said, no, but (laughs) this is the great thing of having good friends. They tell you the truth. She goes, no, but what you have to say is more important than how you sound. Oof. So that's what I thought of. It's a great honor to talk to you, Alexandra. Thank you. Bless your heart. How kind. Thank you for this. This was just lovely. Thank you. Alexandra Billings is an actor, singer, author, teacher, and activist. She stars as Malibu in the new film Queen Tut. She also serves as executive producer. You can watch it now in select Canadian theaters. Thanks so much to Talia Schlanger for for sitting in for me and and having that conversation. I always love to hear Talia on the show. The other conversation we have up today is a conversation with a true legend of film, uh, the legendary Pam Greer, one of the first uh, female action stars ever, if not the first. Um, she has, she's well known for these black exploitation films in the 70s. She has a lot to say about that term, black exploitation. Go check that out. We'll see you soon. Later on. 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.